Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. This podcast contains frank discussions about the body, sexuality, and occasionally uses swear words, which may not be appropriate for people under the age of 18. This podcast also uses facts, statistics, and mathematics, which may not be appropriate for liberal arts majors. And this podcast relies on science and reality, which may not be appropriate for evangelicals. Fat Chicks on Top. This is your host, Auntie Vice. Today, I'm here with Demi Weil. He is a blogger, a podcaster, a poet, a producer. He does lots of things. He does the podcast Hook Up Horror Stories, which I know a lot of our listeners will love to check out if you haven't already. He also writes The Deviant's Guide to Sex, as well as a professional tarot reader. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much. Good to have you here. So, you were doing a very Gen Z version of um, of a career, right? I'm a millennial. You, do not <laughs> do not make me younger than I am. <laughs> Gen Zers are like the bane of my existence, really. <laughs> but you you do podcasting, you do self publishing, you do tarot reading. You do not have a traditional nine to five. You don't do any of that stuff. So this is, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm even a little older than you. This is not what we were trained to do, right? right? We were told to go to school, you know, get a job, be responsible human beings. So how did you shift and go into a much more modern form of a career and successful at that? Thank you. Um, well, I <laughs> I do have a, a, nine to, a nine to five. I am actually a waiter um, for my day job. But um, honestly, I just I, I, one. I know I want this to be my my career at one point at some point. But I'm I'm mostly just interested in doing things that interest me. So I I'm a writer. I've been a writer my entire life. I've been a, a creative type. I've been an artist. So like I, I just wanted to meld all of these things together and then make that my career. So I'm still in the preliminary stages of it. I've been kind of like doing this for a couple of years now, but um, it's slowly growing. And I'm I'm very appreciative for everyone that does follow me. Um, but I yeah, I just I just got sick and tired of doing the regular thing. So I just want to make my interests my job, essentially. And you've gone on this route where so much of your work explores sexuality, the idea of deviance, the idea of shame. Right. What drove you in that direction? Oh, man. Um, honestly, I just had a lot of really bad experiences <laughs> throughout my life um, through either sexual encounters, through relationships. Um, I was in an abusive relationship for a little while. I did. I mean, and just, you know, dealing with, with sex as a, a a way to kind of like numb myself in a way as well. So I, I've dealt with a lot of this stuff throughout my life. And I think it just made sense for me to just kind of like explore that both from a therapeutic perspective, but also as a way to kind of like educate others on like how 
how this stuff really interferes with our life and how it kind of like affects everything around us. You know, um, I was in a, a long-term relationship that I ended up cheating on him. And so I, I, I was like, why did I do that? I've never been a cheater. So like, what was, what was that, that experience like? So there's all this stuff that kind of like came and then all the trauma that I, I realized I had been burying back in the recesses of my mind. So it just kind of like made sense that for me to like explore this route through a, through art as a, as a way to like kind of therapize myself, I guess. <laughs> that art, art's a great way to do it. And poets do that a lot. Yeah. Had, so was poetry your first art form that you explored? Yes, actually. Um, my, my first, my second one was like kind of drawing. I was, I was a, um, um, drawing yesterday, or I was <laughs> drawing when I was much younger, but definitely writing. Writing's always been a form, an outlet for me. Poetry in particular. Yeah, I've just actually, my first book, Bitter Blue Pill, actually has a few of my like very first poems in there that I kind of like re edited and like put this stuck in the book a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, poetry's always been, been there for me when other people weren't. I find that with a lot of poets is there, there's something about that art form that's very healing for a lot of people and allows you to get it out for you. What is it about poetry versus prose or narrative or essays that makes it powerful? I think poetry is powerful in its simplicity. I like to use rhyme a lot. So it just kind of like makes it easy to like structure um, something, structure a thought, you know? As far as like essays go, I I do enjoy writing long form as well. I mean, I'm, I'm a journalist as well. So like I, I write nonfiction and articles and stuff on my Medium page as well. But um, I feel like that more has a, a narrative or you're trying to get an idea across in a much more contextual way rather than kind of like where poetry, it's like, a poem can be like three lines long, or it could be like, you know, a thousand lines long. It just, it's, it's, it's great in its simplicity. I think, I think that's always why I've kind of gravitated towards it. And I just love rhyming. It's just, it's fun. <laughs> it is fun. It is fun. And you brought up that you were using sex to numb yourself. And a lot of people yeah. do this. When did you finally realize that was the role it was playing in your life? I would say probably towards the end of my last relationship because I had been with my ex for like five years at this point at that point and right around like a year before we kind of called it quits I was like kind of just I was a mess I was drinking a lot I was <laughs> I was just doing a lot of like really shitty things and I, I didn't really understand why either when did I realize it? Probably when everything came crashing down. <laughs> it was, it was, it took like a year after that when I actually like moved away. Um, I was, I was homeless for a, a month after that. I lost all my friends essentially. And I was like stuck in a place where I didn't really know. I apologize if there's noise over here. My, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, it took like a whole year for me to like kind of like understand what was going on in my mind. You know, I had to go through like therapy. I had to go through, I'm still going through therapy, but I mean, it just took a while for me to like kind of realize what was I doing to myself? I think I finally just, it just, it just takes a moment of asking yourself that question. Like, why are you doing this? You know? 
And as you're working through that, as, as you're rebuilding in a much more healthy mode, have you been able to reconnect with people or are you, is it like starting a brand new life? It's like starting a brand new life. I mean, I obviously have friends from before that I still am friends with, but in particular, there was a group of friends that I thought I were friends at that point that who actually had me move away, like wanted to kind of like take care of me for a little bit while I was like getting my feet or getting back on my feet. And then I was, I don't know, it was just like a whole big mess with like my friend and like his relationship that was going on and all this kind of like talking behind the back rather than talking to your face kind of thing was going on. So I'm, I do not talk to those people anymore. It was a lot of drama for no reason. So I just, yeah, you just start realizing who you want to be around, who makes you happy and who is there for you ultimately. As you do that, you also, as as one of your, your lines of expertise, you're an expert tarot reader. How did that intersect with finding out who you are and dealing with trauma? Or is that a spirituality that's connected for you? Oh, absolutely. Um, I've I started reading tarot when I was probably like around like 19 or 20. I've always been interested in like the occult and stuff as well. So I I definitely have that. I remember being like 13 years old, like reading books on like witchcraft and astrology and, and like just sitting like 13 years old, like in this random bookstore, like reading all these weird books. But um, that was just me growing up. I always had a um, an interest in like this kind of like darker sensibility. So, yeah, it just kind of like made sense to like, hey, like I can do this. Like, why don't I just start like charging people for it? You know, <laughs> what is learning to read tarot taught you about yourself? That's a very good question. That I'm I'm more than what I actually think I am. Because I think that's a really big thing for a lot of people. It's like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can do that. Hey, no, you can do it. You can, you have skills. Everyone has skills, no matter what they are, no matter how weird they might seem. Um, I didn't read tarot for a long time because I, I was a little bit like, what am I going to do with this? You know, but ultimately I'm like, hey, I have this skill. Why not market it as that? Why not help others with that? And hey, everyone else can do something similar. Everyone's got something that, that they do best. On the show, we've we've had I've interviewed a lot of queer and a lot of kinky folks, and a lot of us are into some form of the occult, tarot, witchcraft, whatever. What is it about kinky queers that draw us into the occult side of things? Um, it's that Scorpio sensibility, that kind of darker sense that we're all so accustomed to you know sex and death like it, we're surrounded by it you know especially as queer people you know with the with the aids epidemic in the 80s and all that stuff we're we're constantly surrounded by darkness and our our culture in general has always been surrounded in this this kind of like shell of shame as well so i think it in a way that darker sensibility is a way of like healing for a lot of us, like, because it makes us feel less alone in our own darkness, you know? Do you bring up having AIDS around the queer community, especially for those of us who lived through the first wave of AIDS, it still right. feels very present. Um, yeah. How does that impact dating in the gay world today? Because AIDS has changed so much from what it was 30 years ago. So what's it like being a gay man out on the dating scene today? Um, I will say it's less of an issue. I think 
well, I'm HIV positive. I found out in 2017 that I was positive. I on Valentine's Day, <laughs> nonetheless. So I, you know, I I knew that I in as weird as this might seem to say, I, I knew I might've been destined for this from the very beginning. Cause I was like, I've always been kind of like, this is going to happen to me, you know, just, it, it's always like that idea that's always been in the back of my mind, knowing I was a queer person from a very young age, knowing what AIDS was. It's like, I always felt like I was kind of destined for this in a weird way. That's not the case. Nobody's destined for that. But I think it has been, kind of another healing transition for me was realizing, Hey, you really got to start taking care of yourself now. And you got to really start like hunkering down and like really getting healthy and, and figuring out your life <laughs> because that was during that time that I was really going through a lot, you know, but it was just another thing on top of all that stuff that really, I think that pressure cooker, like you're in a pressure cooker. So you really like you're under all this like immense pressure, like through your life, through your health, through your mental, mental wellness and stuff that really it's like, oh, well, here's another thing that you got to like take care of. So honestly, it was like another healing process. With the new uh, drugs and stuff with prep, with the different interventions that can get people down to undetectable, is it even mm -hmm. a question that still gets asked before you hook up with somebody anymore in the gay community? Hardly. Very rarely. I do like to make it aware, but I think it just kind of goes unsaid a lot of times that, yeah, most people are on prep these days, especially if you're in a little like, densely populated area and like healthcare is kind of like easily accessible for us. I do like to make people aware if, if they ask, obviously, sure. Um, but it's not the first thing I say, you know. <laughs> Hi, nice to meet you. I have AIDS. <laughs> it's just, honestly, as somebody who lived through that first wave and was really heavily involved in HIV and prevention and, and outreach at that period, it's a trip to me how radically it has changed in the gay men's mm -hmm. community. Um, do you notice a difference between age groups in the gay community around dating are, are younger queers very different about it than say those of us in our 40s 50s yeah because i think a lot of like the older generation like they have they still had like this sense of shame that they grew up with that you know a lot of us are ostracized a lot of the young people are still ostracized as well from their families and whatnot but i think that kind of all that stuff, it, it's it's mental, you know, it's it's stuck in there. It doesn't go away. It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to like make that not not be a pre ever ever present thing in your life. It's still a very present thing in my life, but I kind of like know how to like deal with it now. But yeah, I definitely see a difference between like younger generation and like, you know, older generation. I always like to like, look at the older generation. Like what did they go through to like kind of like to learn from that, you know? Um, that's why I think queer history is a very important thing, especially for people in, you know, rural areas where they don't really get that much information. They're not really, they don't see too many gay people around because we have such a rich, colorful history that I think that's where a lot of like ignorance comes from. And like, we're all this frustration that we deal with on a daily basis that we see on the internet, you know? Who are your queer icons? Ooh, well, obviously Lady Gaga. That's, I mean, but 
I would say older generation, Keith Haring. I know he's not queer, but Robin Williams is always a very queer icon for me. Um, just with Mrs. Doubtfire and, you know, all that stuff as well. So I, probably those three. Madonna, obviously. <laughs> of course. You can't mm-hmm. be you can't be over 40 and not have Madonna on the list, I think. Oh yeah, no. Uh, yeah, it's there's no way to translate it to younger folks because her image is so changed now. Than- yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some really weird. She posts really strange TikToks, <laughs> so I'm like, what is going on with this woman now? But no, like early 2000s Madonna, 90s Madonna, 80s Madonna was like my shit. So it was. I love all Madonna, not so much Madame X, but. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> Gotta give her a minute. In in coming to cope with your identity and working through the shame, what made you feel that you had something to put out there in terms of podcast and had a voice that you thought other people needed to hear? What gave you that confidence? Ask my mom. I don't know. <laughs> my mom says that I should have been a preacher. From a very young age, I was always just kind of like, I had opinions about everything. I was talkative. I was a communications major in college. So like, I just, it just made sense. Like I, if anybody's going to, if I always tried to find the person in out there that I wanted to see, but I never saw that person. So I had to become that person as weird as a as cliche as that might sound, but it, it makes a, a lot of sense. You don't see, you don't see the icons that like you want, you don't gravitate towards the people that, that we don't see these people like on a regular basis. Now it's changing a little bit. I think a lot more people are being a lot more open about themselves and about their experiences. And I, I think that's great. I think it's a wonderful thing that's happening in the world, but you know, growing up, I didn't have anybody to look up to. I didn't really have a father figure. I didn't know any other queer people. I'm like the only, I had a, I had a gay aunt, but I didn't even know she was gay until I was like 16 years old because every, my whole family said that, said that they they were roommates. And I'm like, okay, cool. They're roommates. Like whatever. (laughs) Very good roommates. But I had no idea, you know, so I didn't have anyone to like really look up to or like to talk about these things. I had to like learn about this stuff on my own. So if you don't see it, be it. So let's talk about dating horror stories Uh, or it's hookup horror stories, correct? Yeah. So what was the origin of hookup horror stories? (laughs) This was kind of a long time coming. I've had this idea for this podcast for probably four years now at this point. What is it? 2022, 20, yeah, about 2018, 20, no, no, 2019. Um, so that's three years now at this point. And so we had, I was, I was working with, with this girl and we were talking about um, podcasts and stuff and how we love podcasts. And um she, I, I really wanted to start one. So I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. And so, um, a coworker of ours had randomly come up to me one day was like, Hey, do you want to like, do you have any, do you have a podcast? Do you like want to start a podcast? We have, we have, we have a production studio over here. So I was like, hell yeah. And so I think it literally took like 24 hours for me to like realize, Hey, this is the idea. Let's talk about it. And the girl that I was talking to before was a friend of mine from work. She was down to do it, but she was like, why did you ask me? And I was like, 
don't know. We have a good rapport. We have fun together. So she was like, but I'm a virgin. (laughs) So I was like, oh my God, this is perfect. (laughs) Yeah. So we ended up doing one episode at this place. It turned out it was a scam, (laughs) scam operation. They wanted us to pay them to produce the thing. So it's like, no, that's not going to happen. So shelved the idea for a while. Um, I started my other podcast, A Cosmic Journey, which is now on hiatus. So that took over my life for a little while. And then I was like, and then once that was done, I was like, no, I really want to bring my my idea back to, to fruition. Because I had done a couple like experimental things. They were like audio storytelling, which like a bunch of like sound, like think about like radio, like old uh-huh. tiny radio shows. Um, like basically telling a story, narrating it through sound. And I had like, two episodes that I edited fully 10 minute episodes took like eight hours each episode to edit. So I was like, I'm not doing this, this much work for like this little payoff, you know? So again, shelved the idea, but brought the idea back in this new form. When was it like uh, this year actually? So it was like just February this year. I, I, I came out with this, this whole new concept and I love it. I love the interviews. I love the people that I talk to on a daily basis because everyone has these stories. Everyone has these. I have so many, I have literally, literally blogs already like preliminarily <laughs> written about, about all mine, but I knew everyone had this, these things that they've dealt with, but everyone kind of deals so deals with them secretly. So mm-hmm. I'm like, no, let's, let's talk about this. Let's release this shame. Let's, let's, get this out there because maybe then people might hear oh shit that was me you know (laughs) so in getting these stories out there and and in listening to other folks stories what have you learned about yourself through doing the podcast that i don't really need other people to do it um i love having other people doing it with me but when i I think I had just started kind of coming up with like ideas for solo episodes. So like I've, I've done a few where I, I mean, I just recently had monkeypox. So I did a solo episode about monkeypox. So it was, and then I had episodes about like boundaries, um, just stuff like that. So like, I, I realized like, Hey, like I don't really need all the things. This is, this is my thing. And I, I, I can handle it, you know? <laughs> I love doing it with other people though. I love, cause I, I've, I've had two other podcasts as well, but I've always had a co-host. but doing this myself being my passion project and like what I am all about, I'm more than confident and more than capable of my own ideas of bringing them into the world and of sharing my, my thoughts with others, you know? How has it been to send these stories out into the world? You know, are people receiving you differently? Do your family members know? Like, how is this? My mom loves it. (laughs) Yeah? My mom loves it. Yeah, she... Actually, I did an episode on abortion. And she had told me this story once before. And she had had this really horrible experience when she was 17 years old. She She had to have an abortion. But this was like right at the time when Roe v. Wade was passed. So she was 17 at the time. This is maybe like just months after it had passed in the seventies. Um, and so she was like among the first to like receive a, a legal abortion in California. And her experience in that and telling me this story, she 
confided in me in this and I told her, I'm like, mom, I want to do an abortion episode, but I want to tell your story. She doesn't have to tell the story. I was just like, I want to tell your story because I think your story is important. And she goes, go for it. So it, it's, my mom loves it. She, she knows that <laughs> my mom is like my biggest fan. So like anything I do, she just loves. I did drag for years and she came to a few of my shows, you know, doing, doing that. And, you know, she, everything I do, she just is all about it. As for the rest of my family, I'm not sure they know what I talk about, but they know I have a radio show. They know I like talk about this stuff. They're older. They don't really into podcasts or all that mm-hmm. stuff, but they know, they know what I do. And for you, is there any weight being lifted? Is the shame less getting out out there? Or is it just, do you like telling these stories and this is going to be fun? Yeah. I mean, both it's, it's, it's not, it's not one or the other. It's, it's both. I definitely have this sense of, okay, I'm getting these ideas out. I'm not like living with these, with these thoughts anymore. I'm kind of like putting them in, turn your, turn your pain into art, essentially that kind of thing. But also it's just fun to talk about, you know, I've been on other people's podcasts and I talk about like my stories and then they tell me their stories and like all this like ridiculous stuff is, but it's also just fun. It's just fun to do Mm -hmm. and talk about. So currently what is your favorite hookup horror story? Of mine or another person? Yes. Of yours. Of mine. Oh man. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was just talking about somebody or, um, I think I just told this one on another podcast the other day, but, um, I was, I was, uh, robbed a couple of times <laughs> by, by a, uh, by a person who I slept with a several times. So I wasn't robbed just like once or twice. I was robbed three times by this person. I'm fairly certain the first time it happened after our second hookup. So like he came up, he came over and he stole money from my wallet. I was a waiter still. So he stole money from my wallet that day. Never heard from him again. A, like a month later, I knew he was like, he lived nearby me. I was walking home from work and I had gotten robbed at gunpoint by these two guys in the middle of the street. And then they ran off. They never found the guys, but I had to find my phone and I had <laughs> gone on find my phone when I went home to my laptop, found out that was the address that I picked him up from the last time. <laughs> And then a couple months later, because he had my wallet and all my information and stuff, he also tried to take out credit cards in my name. He was like, like, it's like, so three times I was like robbed and my identity was stolen by this person. Wow. That, Pretty wild. Yeah. I got to say that is the, the worst I've heard. Like I've heard a lot of bad <laughs> stories, three t- robbed three times and the identity stolen, I think takes the cake. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a movie in that one at some point. I'm sure. Listen to Probably True. That's my friend Scott Flashheart's podcast. It's stories of queer sex and even or stories of queer something and even queer sex. I my episode on there, I tell that entire story. It's it's really great. <laughs> That's awesome. So let's talk about where the Deviant's Guide to Sex came from and how that originated. So that started, that was like a pandemic project that I started. I started writing a lot. I started off being kind of like a a book idea that I wanted to do. So I kind of like, like, if I'm going to make a sex ed book, what would I want that to look like? And I want that to be obviously very inclusive. I want, you know, femme, trans, queer, anything in between. Um, 
so that we're not getting just like half the story, you know, we're like, you know, cause we've all had those sex ed experiences in like elementary school. We got that one class in health class in like fifth grade where they tell us put a condom on and like, that's it, you know? <laughs> so like, but where's all this other stuff? Cause like, I feel like when we're out in, when they push us out into the world, what happens? None of us know what we're doing, you know, other than put a condom on, you know, <laughs> but it's like, what did I want that to look like essentially? So I came up with this, I ended up shelving the book idea, turning into like just a bunch of blog posts. Um, I'm still kind of working on it. I haven't worked on it in a little while right now, but I, I want to get that going again. Um, I think I have like probably like four chapters of that at, at this point. Um, so check my blog, Um, if you want to check that out. But yeah, it's it's like it's basically my idea of like what a sex ed book should look like. What is what are some of the key lessons most people are missing in sex ed? Like, like you said, we know how to put a condom on a banana, um, and the the basic uh, mechanics of heterosexual sex. What mm -hmm. are some some key lessons other folks are are missing? <laughs> well, unfortunately, a lot of people are sorely missing in the hygiene department. <laughs> sorely missing so there's a section of that in there um i think also from my own experiences you know how does sex and drugs and alcohol kind of like all mix into the same thing and so there's a section of that in there as well that i think is really important is as you get older and as you start you know drinking going out having fun with your friends and all this stuff how does that kind of like wrap into the whole like hookup culture how does that wrap into sexuality as a whole stuff like that as well i think also just like etiquette on a date because <laughs> people don't know how to do that anymore either <laughs> well where would you learn it like we don't my teach book it <laughs> that's it you know, on job training and so you go through a lot of shit where you fuck up like that's what happens yeah you, you live and you learn and that's essentially what it was you know like it's this is all stuff that i've kind of lived and learned through through trial and error or as my aunt likes to call it um uh, search and not search and destroy <laughs> trial and error never mind i'll i'll figure it out i forget what she called it she called it something different not trial and error because error insinuates that you're you're messing something up um Research and development, that's what she calls it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that makes that makes sense. So in terms of, of date etiquette, other than don't steal from your date and don't steal their identity, what else would you add in there for people that, that seems to be missing? Just don't be an asshole, man. Like <laughs> not everyone's going to like get your vibe, and that's fine too. But just don't be an asshole to people. I think that's sorely missing as well people can be like douche bags just for no reason at all it's like for what a dick my god like we all have that shut up like <laughs> shut up about it what more do you have what more do you have to offer the world so what's next for you um continuing to work on my my podcast i think i've started writing a third book i'm not sure <laughs> it's kind of like it's weird how these things go because like my first one took so long to write the second one took no time at all so now i've just barely started writing like some new poems for my, my third book i guess but again i don't know how long that's going to take 
But in the meantime, podcast, um, I'm working on stuff for my social media right now. I'm doing uh, interviews as well. And then just kind of like vibing, man. I, just, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever the wind takes me, I'm not sure. <laughs> If folks want to find you, if they want to find all your podcasts, your books, all the great stuff, where do they go? DemetriWild.com. You'll find everything there. Um, I'm at DemetriWild, D-E-M-I-T-R-I-W-Y-L-D-E on all social media platforms. And if you want to follow Hookup Horror Stories, I'm on all streaming platforms and also on Instagram and Twitter at Hookup Horror Stories. On Twitter, I think it's Hookup Horror Pod, though. Thank you so much. And we'll have all those links for our listeners. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Antivice. It was very lovely to be here. And now, a moment of gratitude. I love this question because that was something that me and my, my friend Jay used to ask each other after every episode of A Cosmic Journey. And I haven't been asking in a while, so thank you for asking me. I am grateful to be alive. I'm just, every day is a blessing at this point because, you know, I've been through a lot. We've all been through a lot, especially in the last few years. Society <laughs> feels like it's crumbling all around us. But I just tweeted this the other day. I was like, we've got pandemics. We've got social unrest. We've got economic shit crashing around around us the monarchy's in peril and britney goddamn spears but holy shit what a fucking time it is to be alive right now like there is so much juicy good stuff you know <laughs> yeah it's wild but holy shit what a time it is to be alive right now Hi, this is Auntie Vice from Fat Chicks on Top. October is just around the corner and that's International Kink Month. In preparation for that, I'm offering some special discounts. If you go to my shop at AuntieVice.com backslash shop, you can pick up a second edition of Love Letters to a Unicorn for $5 off using the code PREPFORFULSOM. If you are interested in kink coaching, by me personally, you can try a free session you can book a session for coaching and use the code MYFIRSTTIME and that'll get you a free 50-minute consult. For listening to this episode of Fat Chicks on Top. Please like, subscribe, and review our podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. If we like your review, we may even read it online. This has been an Auntie Vice production. Producer and host, Rebecca Blanton. Audio production by Sharon Smith. Music by David Manga. And more music by Sharon Smith. For more information about Fat Chicks on Top, please visit our website for all things Fat Chicks at fatchicksontop.com.